Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a beautiful day so far. Oh, man, this week's guest is very special. In fact, probably one of the most profoundly insightful guests I've ever had the privilege of having a conversation with. It is my honor to be introducing Mr. Stuart Savatsky. So I'll talk a little bit more about how I met Stuart and what he's here to teach, but I'd be remiss if I didn't just dive straight into his bio because this man has lived one hell of a career. So Stuart is a, is a world-renowned expert in the realms of relationship, intimacy, and erotic art. He's been a marriage counselor for 44 years and was the first choice to co-direct Ram Dass's prison ashram and the first in the U.S. to bring yoga to incarcerated youth and the homeless mentally ill in the 1970s. He served at the office of the Dalai Lama and has taught spiritual practices and modalities all across the world. He's chanted in private circles with the president of Slovenia. He's authored multiple books on spiritual intimacy He's practiced kundalini yoga for 24 years and is the director of two psychotherapy clinics in the San Francisco Bay Area. He graduated from Princeton and is just, I mean, that that's literally the short list <laughs> of his accomplishments and what he's done and how he has chosen to serve in the world. But what I love most about Stuart is not his accolades. It's not what he has done. It's not what he continues to do. It's who he is. It's how he lives his life. It's, I, I met him at a, uh, at a retreat where the, the focus was intimacy and it was, uh, and it was the first time I'd really met an elder really. I mean, he's, he's lived a long life. I mean, I didn't want to speak when I was in Stuart's presence. I just wanted to listen. And there was a depth of wisdom to the way that Stuart just taught his crafts there's a way with which he communicated the devotion and the reverence and the gratitude for every little thing that he became aware of. And I learned so much from him. He has enriched my own practice of intimacy with life. And in this episode, we go in so many rabbit holes. I mean, we cover everything from what is devotional love and Tantra to defining the art of appreciating yourself to the intense power of eye gazing to just the simplicity of finding beauty in everyday life. And I think we we have this tendency to overcomplicate fulfillment. We have this tendency to overcomplicate what it means to experience joy and love. And the second I met Stuart, so much made sense. Like it really truly actually brought back the simplicity of love and how it can be found in, in everyday experiences. So I hope you guys enjoy this profoundly illuminating conversation with Stuart. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps. All that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Reach out to me on social or send Stuart a message on social if anything we said on the show resonated. We love hearing from you. And I'm just so grateful that uh, we continue having the opportunity to talk about things like this because this is what I believe the world needs um, in order for it to heal and grow and evolve into the next iteration of life. So anyways, I'm going to stop blabbering and let Stuart take the road. So without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Stuart Savatsky. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all 
having a blessed and beautiful day. I'm so grateful to have you here, Stuart. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Raj. I feel extremely welcomed. And that's maybe what I will share with your listeners is the things that we seem that may, may seem peripheral, like thank you. It's so good to have you on my show. And then me saying you're you're very welcome, that there's so much depth in just that exchange that I could talk the whole hour about it, frankly, because gratitude has been made perfunctory. Thank you for being on our show. And we think now, okay, nothing has been said yet. It's just an intro. I believe you could say consciousness doesn't let wonderful things be marginalized. And one of the great marginalized aspects of of conversation is people saying, thank you for being on my show, or thank you for coming this evening. And everybody goes to sleep while that is said, like, yeah, yeah, let's get on with the show. And consciousness pays attention and and listens a little bit longer. Yeah, I feel that you really mean it. And the depth of your human nature is dependent on me feeling how deeply you meant that versus you're just being in a role and you say it every time. And now let's get on with with the conversation. (laughs) It begins with whether I do feel that you, you really mean what you say. And I can feel that you may mean it more than you're aware of. Is when someone says something, they feel they meant what they said, but it is very heavily dependent on the listener of how deeply they believe and hear, let's just focus on positive, on something very more positive than usual. So when you say thank you, I want to reflect so it's not lost. Yeah, I've known you a short period of time, and I know you love me, Mm. which blows me away. What I appreciate most about you is the depth with which you feel that gratitude and that reverence and that connection and that appreciation. I mean, it was one of the most profound things that I truly took away after our first sort of meeting. It was this, this devotional love this aspect of devotional love or this aspect of seeing the god in another or or feeling the praise or the or the appreciation as if you are honoring a god within yourself and and I would love to maybe open the conversation up around that idea of devotional love and what is that because I think you embody it so well and I also think there's very few people on the planet that could probably explain this in a way that can be received by someone who may not know what that devotional love is or what that energetic sort of connection or presence is. So I would love maybe to start there and then allow the conversation to go where it's going to go. It's a beautiful question. It's a gift to me to be asked about devotional love. The simplest access I can give to any, anyone listening is the, the point of view of the, what I'm sharing about devotional love is based on the the simple fact that our eyes aim outward. Yes, there is a world, if I close my eyes, we can call it inner meditation. We close off the, the vision, even hearing to some degree, hear the heartbeat, different things, breathing. We're familiar with that. But most of our daylight hours, our eyes are open and we're looking out. In fact, our eyes are built to take in what they see (laughs) from the outside. So what is the disposition that would be one of the more beautiful opportunities? It's so simple to say, is to see beauty everywhere. And in that, there's a transcendence of the ego. Because I'm less and less concerned of what I may be saying, as in this case, trying to illuminate exactly what I said at the beginning, I'm looking at you, this beautiful face, this brilliant, committed, creative person who is before me on a laptop, but right there before me. And your heart is completely open and you're making me feel like my life is important. That's me talking about you. And whenever I have taught 
in front of groups, however large they may be. And I've talked with important people in my background from the office of the Dalai Lama to presidents of, of countries, all, all kinds of people, is to convey how beautiful the people are because my eyes aim outward. What's coming for me right now is why is it difficult for human beings or I guess like, you know, when I look at the world right now, right? Like there's a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of me versus you. There's, there's a lack of actual, like in your description of that devotional love, being able to see the beauty of the audience in front of you. Why is it so difficult to practice? Like it feels so simple, but it doesn't seem very easy. It breaks a lot of protocols. Number one, like you're saying, it's rare. And my most dramatic example because it's so polar. Examples mean we're using figures that everybody knows the name. If I use my neighbors across the street, it wouldn't, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. But the most public, and, the, and we're in a lucky time for what you're describing. Imagine Bernie Sanders, because everybody knows how he presents himself to the world as a progressive feeling for people in need. And Donald Trump is going to be my other example. Because I believe they, it's hard to conceive of any more polar of politicians. So I'm going to say, and I, t- I would love this opportunity. I would love it to, because I believe inside of these two people and any two of these polarized figures in, in, at a world level of, you know, uh, they would love to have, have it, a safety created. And this is what I would want them to do. Weep in each other's arms. Mm. I, it makes me cry. If anybody thinks they're not suffering about the lot of humanity, I don't think they're totally aware. They're, we are caught up in our own favorite side. But what I would invite is that if you can entertain this idea, the whole world would change because I've picked the two worst. And if you can imagine somebody guiding Bernie and Donald Trump to say, look, we know that you put yourself out on the line, you, you make your lives public, and you're scrutinized endlessly. I believe that you're looking at your equal in terms of commitment to humanity. And you both know how hard it is to be public, and you would love all kind of good things for humanity. And you feel tremendous sorrow about war because you uh, function at a level that you can initiate different types of military activity because we, we don't know what else to do. It's not a happy day. And I believe if, if I'm watching carefully and they trust me, they will weep in each other's arms as brothers only can. And that's the, I mean, the shared humanity in, in our feelings, the shared humanity in our sorrow, our sadness, the fact that we all are born and we will all one day die from this physical plane, right? And, and so it's like there's these shared experiences. And, and when I think about the idea and the concept of devotional love, at least for me and what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's really connecting with that shared experience. And it's connecting with the other person's sadness. It's connecting with the other person's pain. It's their sorrow. It's being able to feel and see the the textures to to how they are the way they are. And it's and it's being able to observe all of that when you're in somebody's presence. One thing I, I really admired, I remembered when we first met, actually the first thing you had Gina and I do was to stare into each other's eyes and to practice that that devotional stare of seeing each other as if we were God, like as if we were in awe and in wonder of each other. And I, I remember that practice. I mean, I think we stared for maybe 15 minutes, maybe longer. I mean, it was such a depth and being able to, to I, I'm even getting squeamish right now, feeling her, like the way she was looking at me and how I couldn't match that stare back because I, 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 I just revered her in that way. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I think we've ever had as a, in, in, in love. And, and, and I wanted to maybe unpack that a little bit, like that practice. What is the, can you give context to the, 
to the depth that's that's being sort of expressed in that practice and how that relates to the idea of devotional love. Perfect. Exactly. You know, again, it's very simple. Uh, analyze or respond to your question is duration, which is what the first element you noted is how long we look into each other's eyes. And what I would then propose is it would take as much, take let's call it a PhD worth of, of, of study to unpack all that is worth talking about. But back to what you, you experienced with your, with your partner. Yeah, you gave her a gift by wondering if you could match back the reverential gaze that you saw in her face. And this is why there, it is in need of, of exploration. These are, this is a common problem. It's common to feel humble. Humility and reverence go hand in hand. And when we see somebody like, like you looking up to me, I feel very humble. And I've been being looked up to for f- about 50 years, I would say, at least. And if we get too non-humble, we want to watch for that. And, and how that, uh, how, what do you do if you're not, no longer humble, if you're exalted by someone? There's a whole many chapters worth or, or, or hours of, of unpacking if you're exalted by her gaze. But if you're humbled by her gaze, people usually need someone to say that you gave more, way more than you thought because you elevated her reverence to such a level that it made you kind of shy. And shyness, shyness has a special innocence to it. It has a glow of innocence. And we need language and training. I don't know about therapy is the right word, but we certainly need mentoring about how to receive love, reverence, adoration, because it makes us shy. I've done this in, in experimentally, and my colleagues do pathologize shyness. Freud said that the blush of shyness, because he was sexually oriented, was an erection of the head. But if it's kept in the realm of poetry, yeah, you, you, you were incredibly beautiful to her in your shyness. And in your wondering if you could match it up, because you were glorifying her fully. And it does require some tracking and some education and helping people. So Gina would then say back to you, you blow me away that you say such a beautiful thing to me. And I can assure you that what you just did matched anything I would ever hope for from you and what you felt you were receiving from me is I was receiving that really that you would hope to be able to give more. Mm, like there's that giving and receiving that I think is so naturally embedded in the practice that you, that you, that you taught. And, and I think that begs to kind of break open a greater sort of conversation around, I guess, the like in intimacy and relationship. I think I would say this style of teaching really goes back to a, an overarching concept of work is Kundalini or Tantra or something that's sort of mystified in love. Like, is this what Tantra is, I guess? And, you know, we have a lot of listeners that, that may not actually have the depth or the, um, or the awareness of all of this. So I guess if we had to bring it back to simple practice, like, is this what Tantra is? Is this what, like, devotional love is this? Is this all a gateway to, to more spiritual intimacy or more? Just would love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, Tantra, Sanskrit word, it's all charged up with different associations. But let's just say it is the nature of what I'm describing. It's an amazing gift of God's, of of the universe, that two people can fall in love. (laughs) Imagine if we had a a robotic universe and nobody programmed in that even robots could fall in love. It would be very mechanical, it would be very cold, to say the least. Brave New World, if you read Aldous Huxley, he does create a fantasy of a loveless, efficient world. Brave New World is a dark book. It's not a a brave new world, it's said sarcastically. But what I'm getting at is is that's not the way it is. We, We do have romantic love. And romantic love makes us feel butterflies, makes us quiver when we see someone. That is understood as power. The ability to quiver in front of someone you love, and you can see their opposite 
psychologies that are way more in the public eye about power. You already hold. How could you be made to quake in the presence of someone else? You're giving away your power. So it's even pathologized, giving away your power. So what I'm talking about, I believe, is a reawakening of something we believed in from a very young age when you first were flirting or had an infatuation in the third grade or something, you know, with some other child in your classroom. And you just felt like if they walked by you, you got all excited. Now, we want to be like that every day and every decade of our life. So it's nothing exotic. But what happens is like what I did with my example of Bernie and Donald embracing. We can imagine it, but people are habituated to, for, they, for them to hate each other the rest of their lives. But the, you, you could get them to love each other because th- there's a dialogue that would work for that. Likewise, this is a type of, of a possibility that lovers will get quiver, shake at the knees. Every love song speaks like what I'm talking about. And then but how does the recipient respond? You cry or you, you show great, amazing awe. You know, there are ways to, you, we have to learn how to be humbled by someone who's humbled by us. I would love to hear your take on receiving love. When someone shares love for you or with you or as you, or they, they give you that love, like, I think traditionally in the past, I wasn't very good at receiving. And, and I think that a lot of those listening might, might resonate with that where it's just difficult to receive. So if someone has difficulty receiving love, what advice or what context would you give for them to lean in deeper and actually allow love in? I'm going to give you such a simple answer that it won't seem possible, but I've tested it for, I would say, 40 years and with at least 5,000 different people and many, I would say, an average of five to 10 times within the 40,000 hours that I met with these people. And that is to tell them to say thank you. And then to like, if you say, Stuart, you're, you're, you know, you make me feel so great, you know, and if, or if I say to you, you know, you're, you're an amazing interviewer, you're completely tracking everything I'm saying, you're asking perfect questions. And for you to say, thank you for saying that is all that you have to do to receive my love. <laughs> and to complete the trans, the interaction, I say, you're very welcome. So what has happened is the thank you and you're welcome have been made perfunctory instead of profound. So that's why there sounds like, how could that work? We have to learn all the way around, the giver and the receiver, that if someone says thank you for saying such beautiful things, and then you say you're welcome, the transaction is complete. And so what am I getting at if we really understand, yes, I say thank you, you say you're welcome. What does your welcome mean? It means there's more love where that came from. You're, yes, you're thanking me for being appreciative, being complimentary, being loving, and I'm thanking you for that. And you say you're welcome. What you're implying is there's more where that came from. Nobody thinks this. When they say you're welcome, they think it's like a, a throwaway phrase. Like, uh, give me a Kleenex, Mm. you know, could I have a glass of water? Saying you're welcome means you're welcome. (laughs) It's the opposite of you're not welcome. It's a huge, you know, welcome mat. And so it means you can come in further. And the art of life is to enjoy every step and to feel the magnetism. Uh, it's a natural energy. It, people, you hardly even participate. You, when I, I watch couples, which I was my focus, and uh, you know, when, when they make uh, positive statements, uh, within a minute or two or five, somebody reaches out and touches the other person. But I'll tell you, you know what I mean. Even if without a video, they don't. It's automatic when they reach out. And I always say that wasn't your ego that reached out. That was nature. You felt loved. And your body, your muscles moved your arm and you touched your partner to thank them with a touch. But it was nature making your arm move. And I'll get to the word Kundalini because Kundalini is, the names 
the most powerful force that could move a human body. That's all it is. It's like nuclear energy or something. You know, it's a name for where the energy is the most, you, you can't conceive of a bomb more than the uh, fission fusion bomb, right? It's ultimate capacity of, of an energy. But Kundalini is, is just naming what happens if you keep attuned to this natural positivity of exchange. It will eventually get to a level, and this is where it's really cool, is that Kundalini is the most active in all of us, without exception, in the gestation of every human body from the zygote moment of one cell fertilized to the ball of cells to the ball that folds into itself and then the little uh, embryo, little arms come out. You don't think that. It manifests of its own through the, uh, the, the whatever you want to call it, DNA. You can give it scientific terms, but they call it gestation. It's the, it's the way the humans, every animal in, in the womb, it just manifests and moves around to create itself. And even the newborn will keep moving around and, and making its fingers and you know coming into incarnation. Well, that process can continue at an extremely high level for our whole lives. Likewise, when couples are being kind to each other, the example I gave you, and one will touch the other. Uh, and then after that is the energy from one hand goes into the body of the other person and you map it out. Otherwise, it, we do words are helpful. Without mapping it out with words, people don't think as much happened. Thank you so much for just opening up so many rabbit. Like this is my, this is actually my struggle with you before. <laughs> I was like, we could go in so many directions just because you have such a depth of, of wisdom around these topics. And I think one of the things that I want to clue back into is you said the, like in that exchange between lovers, there's a natural sort of desire or it's not even your conscious thought. It's just, you naturally want to put your hand on them. You naturally want to love in in a way that's just natural. And that flow is something that we get to be intimate with throughout life. And I think it sounds like that's actually the the not the issue, but that's the opportunity. It's that we we tend to separate ourselves from that nature, from that natural sort of expression of love, and we get into our egos and we start meaning making and we start to to attach ourselves to things that are not actually natural, but in natural love, there's just this give and take exchange and tracking that and being present to that and being intimate with that is the gift of spiritual intimacy. Exactly. And you, you raise a good point that I, it's good for me to always remember that when I do try to present what I've researched, all kinds of words have to be redefined. Like I redefine thank you and you're welcome already, a little bit at least. So people can begin to think, oh, you could write a whole book on thank you and you're welcome. But the word that you, I'm going to add now is way more difficult <laughs> uh, because of the baggage. And that word is fertility. Mm. Fertility is the mystery of what creates life. Now we can say it like any other sentence, like I'd like a glass of water. But this is the mystery from which our parents conceived us, that they, won, they saw each other for the first time. I don't know your parents' story, or I don't know much of my own parents' story, but I know they met at a, a club. My father was in the Army. This was like in the 40s. And they met. My mother was, uh, you know, bringing cookies to the soldiers, and, and they saw each other. You know, every couple has its story of when they made contact. And that is how, if it got to the point of them conceiving life, that was the first moment when, when the story unfolded. Is that one, like I, you may have heard this way back, you were just the twinkle in your parents' eyes when they first met. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't think so, but I love it. <laughs> it's a very beautiful phrase. You were just the twinkle in the eyes between your parents when they first met. And that is fertility. It's a very deep profundity, and it doesn't just include creating and conceiving new life. It includes every conceivable deep level, not just the thank you, but the thank you, which I would add, is a fertile 
expression. Gratitude is like the earth receiving a seed. And then when thank you is said, it's like watering it for the first time. And you're welcome is the seed drinking in the water. So, yeah, and gratitude, we, we, I'm deepening by adding that it's a fertilizing. It, it affects our DNA. It affects how every cell, I learned recently, every second, our cells divide 3.8 million times. Wow. Did not know that. I did not know that either. I trust the people who measured it. I don't know how they <laughs> measured it. But, you know, I, I think it's a good number. You know, there's millions of cells and, you know, it takes, they know how long it takes for, you know, them to expand and grow. Then they divide. If we felt, which I do feel, because this was my yoga. My yoga was not on breath or on flexibility so much. It was on the power that creates life that roughly we could call it fertility, but it's way bigger. It's how you got incarnated, why you got incarnated, what was the hope of your parents in incarnating you. That's why I can do a different psychotherapy than Freud would even, even imagine. He imagined very negative views of, of family and, and a very narrow view of sexuality. Fertility was something you don't want. And we still have that. Fertility is like a, an enemy to sexuality. You, you want to get, keep it out. But there are ways of full maturing where you don't have to have babies every time, but you, have, you let it in. Why? You know, the power of letting this in. Tantra is also definitely part of where the word makes sense is the gratitude and the natural connecting. You, you, you feel that your cells are quivering. 3.8 million times a second, because that's what happens when people fall in love. Their vibrations quicken. And what is the vibration? It's the chromosomes are splitting in half and, and the cells are dividing over and over. They're so happy. Well, there's this allowing that I feel to what is when you're experiencing the depth of every moment, right? That's what you're, like, there's this I keep coming back to the word intimacy, but there's just a richness to the way you're describing a lifestyle, a way of sort of walking in the world, a way of communicating, a way of of saying thanks, a way of receiving thanks, a way of expressing love, a way of naturally trusting the flow of energy that you might feel between you and another. Like there's this overwhelming level of life that's happening all the time. And what I'm appreciating most about what you're sharing is just this reminder to connect deeply with what is. And that connection is, is so profound when we can allow it. Like even just a simple stare for 15 minutes had profound levels of unlocking and I remember even the, the alternate nostril breathing that you taught um, when we were together. I mean, the way that you you instructed to slowly, and I'd love for maybe even you to for you to share this practice um, for anyone listening because it was so powerful for me. Actually, I'm just going to stop talking and allow you to to share the the brilliance of of the slowness and the and maybe even expressing the the benefits of that practice. Yeah, you know, I, what's good is any topic, any question you raise, my answer is somewhat like what you're getting into is is bringing your heart into it. And with this pranayama uh, or the yogic breathing where you breathe left back and forth in a balanced way, each nostril takes in air and lets air out back and forth. Yeah, you can logically imagine that it balances the left brain and the right brain and it because the two nostrils have connections to the each hemisphere and to the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. So you scientifically, anatomically, we could see why doing this practice would be very helpful to balance people's uh, emotions. That's a very mechanical way of describing it. From the, the, the way that I shared with, with no one has ever but me has ever taught it this way. I'm saying they should teach it this way. And what that is that the left and right nostrils are lovers. They're, they're sun and moon in the uh, symbology of yoga. The uh, right is sun and the left is moon, or somewhat you could say, in a, not 
an English totally translatable way, male and female. There's a lot more to it, but just for the conversation we're now having. So what we're, what we're when we're moving our hand up to do this breathing practice, it's not a throwaway activity. It's not like, okay, start the breathing practice now. Left, inhale, slowly hold. That's mechanics. It's not bad, but wait, what I'm saying, it's like a, imagine a marriage ceremony. Everyone has been to a marriage ceremony or have been married, particularly the kind where you walk down the aisle and everybody in the, uh, uh, the space is almost crying because it's such an audacious thing to get married and to find a partner and to make it public. It is one of the most profound, uh, life-affirming, choosable actions I think that humans can do, particularly if they're willing and capable of saying, I take you till death do us part. No equivocating. It's a, only, there's no contract, very rare to find a contract that you can't get out of. And divorce, now they made a big out, but this is because of a lack of what I'm getting at. So let me say, this is taking that mood of your hand moving up to your nostrils is like the bride and groom moving up the aisle and the nostrils are the altar. And so by the time uh, uh, your hand is to your nose, it's like how the, uh, the, the, the family members feel watching their friend or their, their child walk down the aisle, except it's your hand walking towards your freaking nose. Nothing mundane, nothing mechanistic, nothing rote about a couple walking down the aisle and getting married. If you've been, I don't have to explain it. It's, it people cry. They can't believe it. They're, they, they fly thousands of miles to be at these events. That's how we should feel moving our fingers up to our nostrils because we're marrying the left and right, the sun and the moon in our very being. And the altar traces up to the pineal gland in the inner parts of the brain where we feel all the unions and all the chemistries, the endocrinological uh, basis of pleasure is all in the hypothalamus, the dopamine and the endorphins and the oxytocin. We have the names in science, in Sanskrit, madhu, honey, they call it like, like, oh, honey, where are you? Or sweetness of love, honey, they call it madhu. Or amrita, nectar. We call it the oxytocin, the love hormone. You know, But it's a provoking of a puberty. So when you're doing this breathing practice, you're altar begins at the nostrils, but you're in the mood for love. You're not in the mood just to get rid of stress management. Stress management sounds like a, you know, a, a corporate a training program. This is a wedding. It's a different emotional realm. So you're doing it in the realm of weddings and falling in love. And then when you're doing this practice, your chemistry is way different than somebody who's just counting their breaths back and forth. And, and that's reverence. You do it with reverence. Your chemistry is probably oxytocin times 20. And that affects your hypothalamus. Hypothalamus is a Greek word. It means little wedding chamber. Interesting. And so there is like a wedding. And so, yeah, this simple practice, which no one teaches in the right way. I'm an old man now. <laughs> I, can, I can be a little gruff. <laughs> it can be a little bit rough on with anybody under 60. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, not, you're missing the heart of the matter when you don't teach it as a wedding. And then the chemistry inside is different. And then every breath that you, you marry deeper. I feel like that's a whole conversation for, uh, <laughs> could go down that rabbit hole uh, in, in so many ways. What I want to bring it back to is, I think you said the word reverence. And I really actually love the distinction between the breath being the alternate nostril breathing being stress management versus love, versus consummating love, versus experiencing a wedding, the the marriage of the left and the right, the masculine, the feminine, the the sun and the moon, the that reverence, that connection to love, and then that being a completely different experience, that being something that's on such a higher plane and vibrational frequency than anything that stress management can entail. 
and the benefits of that. I mean, I, I think that's such an important reminder that even everyday practices, everyday things can have profound depth when we slow down, when we revere, when we connect, when we drop in. And, and I think that that patience, that slowness, that, that trust is something that's accessible to all of us. It's actually not something that we have to go buy off the shelf. It's something we can access in every moment. And that's what I've learned most from you, Stuart, just this, this level of depth and connection that you can experience with everyday experiences. Well, you're doing it right now. You're, 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 you're so articulate, Raj. And I can watch and feel you choosing your words. And it reflects what I've been trying to share in, in my words. So you're remembering me, which is a beautiful thing for someone in conversation to feel that someone, because you can talk to people and, and it's like, where, who, where are they talking about? They change the subject completely, you know? So I can use our experience right now as a perfect example. And it's not just an example. It is me really appreciating you <laughs> because it, it's a beautiful thing to be interviewed by you. It's a beautiful thing to be listened to by you. Mm. Oh, thank you. I, I, you know, I have just so much gratitude for you. You just, you embody such a, uh, an, for me at least, one of the most important concepts or, or, or aspects to, 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 to experiencing life fully. And, and it's, and it's not in the doing, it's not in, in getting more, it's not in the external. There's just this profound depth that can be experienced by fully leaning into what's in front of you. And if you're willing to say nice things about it, then you start to see the nice things. Like mm. when you you smile and you hit your hand goes up and you do a gesture and your eyes light up. And, and I feel that you know exactly what the difference is that we're trying to delineate. And then what's, yeah, what, what starts happening is you start realizing this is all we need in terms of an intimate partner is someone who loves us and we love them back and they like that we love them. <laughs> it goes back to kindergarten. In kindergarten, we had, I don't know if they still do this in kindergarten, that you draw a heart and there will be two arrows into the heart. That meant that's all you needed was both people. If it was one, it was unrequited, you know, just one arrow through the heart. But two arrows, and that meant that the little girl or who took her nap next to you in the kindergarten, that she also liked you back. That was all it took. <laughs> and so you have, and then the two people believing that they meant it. And then, yeah, the, all the challenges of daily life, you have to become more and more uh, appreciative how hard it, hard it is to do some simple things like make a meal for each other. You know what it takes to drive and go shop for groceries and bring them home and shop them up every day every night and, and do it with, uh, with, with love and with awareness of nutrition and thank each other for the, the, the activities of home building together. Very mundane, but, but home is very profound. It's where we yeah, do live and used to be by a home or you'd be in your ancestral home where all your ancestors grew up and died. And then your generation lives there and you were connected definitely by your home location, by the building. But we, we can do it in our own way where you're, you know, uh, in a home for five or 10 years, you know, maybe moving here and there by, yeah, what we're saying, really paying attention to the poetic details of daily life. Ah, the poetic details of daily life. That is just such a, I love that, that statement. I am, Stuart, again, I, I just want to thank you so much for, just sharing your heart and your wisdom. And I keep coming back to the word reverence. That's literally just one thing I learned so much from you. It's just even like, even the way you just described home and the reverence you have for that idea and, and what that means culturally and, and, and historically, what is, what that has meant for ancestors before me. And being able to connect with that as I'm even speaking it, it brings me back to a, a deeper sense of, of, of fulfillment and, and depth and connection. And so I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you for, um, for just being here with us. If anybody listening wanted to maybe reach out, say thank you, say hello, is there a way that they can do that? 
Well, the simplest way is is very mundane, and everybody knows about it. Is Facebook? You know, my you have the spelling in my name. I I do some degree of teaching, and I definitely respond to messaging and get into more detail with individuals. Mm, great. Well, and and you have God knows how many books and teachings and just everything. So if anyone listening felt like Stuart's wisdom was. I, I just keep learning more and more every time I'm around you. It just blows me away, actually. I, I just, again, thank you so much, Stuart. I have one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? Well, I think it's a, a, it's something that is common for all of us. It's very helpful to remind ourselves of all the good things we've done in life personally and give ourselves credit it's very grounding that we actually had a life and that it was bigger than, and then the be here now is not really that helpful. It's very limiting to just be here now. It's an important focus, but you don't want to eliminate the future and the past that was never supposed to have been done. But memes, do you know this word meme? Yeah. yeah. You've heard of it? I've yeah. heard of it. <laughs> All right. So you make a meme and that, and then that that stands for the whole so- everything else, you know. Like 1 plus 1 is the meme of mathematics. <laughs> it's too well there's a tremendous amount of other mathematics that is beyond that. So in any event, what am I getting at is um we're talking about what exactly um groundedness. Yeah, the groundedness you have access to your past and yeah, we can remember our mistakes, but uh, and they're ungrounding, you know, when we we feel bad, you have to really f- become skillful to realize every time you did what you did, you you thought you were doing the best you could. And, and ch- conditions change. You have to be your own empathic witness of really. Re- and you only need one vote to make it be the way you say, which is your vote that you know you did the best you could. But there are many, many times, because most of life is relatively simple, and we do succeed. We succeed in brushing our teeth. Every little thing counts. You know, I, I became, yeah, I dedicated at a certain decade late in life to love that I brush my teeth and get over it as an obligation and realize an act of love. So that's very grounding to take the mundane aspects of life and not be bored by them. That's ungrounded boredom we, we we take it for granted there's, there's we get take the ground away ground is meaning anytime we have meaning and either uh, particularly pride of accomplishment and other people uh, you know what i've noticed i, I, I maybe become be coming to a close i have a feeling we've talked a while but i'm so moved by myself i cry at the drop of a hat whenever i hear of anybody striving for anything it's automatic in me now, you know, I, and I see you making these podcasts and you do it on your own time and everything, you know, and you listen to everything that certainly that I say, you're striving every way you possibly can to be, you know, as, as beautiful of a human being and make a contribution as you can. And I look at it on your face right now. I can, I just am blown away. And so the best grounding is be appreciate yourself. I appreciate if I told you my life story, I would tell it like I was talking about a hero of mine, and it would be me. I, I did a website. I've, I've never had one. One of our friends got me a website because he felt sorry for me because I didn't have a website. And so I, I wrote my biography, and I was crying about myself, but I, the things I did and had a chance to do and the people who helped me and what they did and, and the amazing things that people do. And I don't have enemies. I don't have political this side or that. I love them all. And they all have their frailties. But I, I know, you know, maybe I'm a, an idealist or Pollyannic, but I'd rather be that way. So grounding is that which nourishes us. And, yeah, we don't have to be a fool, you know, be, become manipulatable and all that. But you can still see, I, I, like I say, these all open up other topics of every word I say. But the basic thing of my response is, yeah, be proud of oneself and think about your life from kindergarten on and not as a victim, but as a hero. 
history. That's what you go to therapy for, wound history. They don't even talk about pride history. It's insane. We, we should go into therapy. The therapist should say, tell me what you're proud about your parents. Tell me what you're proud about your mom, your, your brother, your sister, yourself. And then they say, tell me more. Why, would, why were you so touched by that when your mother said that and your father went to work every day? What was that like? Nobody, not even one. I don't know. I'm, I may be exaggerating. But, you know, it's very rare to have a therapist. Will, and we can be this for ourselves and ground ourselves in a perception of the very goodness that is everywhere. Mm. Stuart, you are just one of the most beautiful human beings I know. And I'm, I'm honored. I'm touched. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for the reminders and the, just the continued, uh, mentorship and learning that I get to experience in your presence. And I'm just grateful. Thank you for, blessing me and for gracing everyone listening with your wisdom and your, um, your inspiring level of reverence for life in all of its forms. And, um, I'm just grateful. So thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. It means a lot. Just as I said, I'm going to say you're welcome and it's loaded with meaning. It's not perfunctory. You are, you could not be more welcome by me hearing your response i feel so appreciated you're welcome anytime mm, thank you and everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of stay grounded i'm your host raj this is your new friend Stuart, and from us stay grounded we'll chat soon Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.